0: Welcome to Episode 2 of the To Be A Yogi Podcast. I'm Edward Reed. In this episode, we will interview Joe T. at Dharma Sound. But first, let's meet our co-host, Kathy Kuhn Pentecost. Hello. Hello. How are you? I am
1: well, thanks. I'm really happy to be
0: here. It's good to see you. I'm glad you were able to come by. Me too. Do you have a background in yoga?
1: I have a little tiny background in yoga.
0: What's your experience?
1: Uh, in my 20s, there was a yoga studio in Pasadena called the Center for Yoga. And it was originally, the original shop is on Larchmont in the fancy-smanch Larchmont Village. So in the boom of Old Town Pasadena, they opened up a new shop and through a friend of a friend, whatever, I got a little dumb job there wherein for working the reception desk, you could take yoga classes oh, for cool. free. Oh, Nice. So that was really the first classes that I took oh my God it killed me. Oh, I couldn't walk for days stairs oh, forget about it had to do the uh, like the plop technique to sit down because I had never done anything like that before. Yeah um, Fast forward a bunch of years I was in acupuncture school mm-hmm. A lot of my life had changed really dramatically in a very short time and I was kind of out of my mind a little bit at that point and I was in the Tai Chi class and my teacher said your Chi is not moving in your body. It's moving in your head but it's not moving in your body. He said you can't help your patients if your Chi is not moving in your body. You need to do Tai Chi every day. And I said okay whatever you say I'll do whatever you say. So I went in search of a a Tai Chi class and could not find one that fit in with my school and single mom schedule but there was yoga at the Monrovia community center Mm. and it was $85 for 10 weeks of classes or something like that. I mean, it was incredibly inexpensive. And so I just showed up with the intention of moving my chi and being a better doctor. It was different than any of those classes that I'd ever taken at the center for yoga. And I started to really connect with the, the spiritual part of it that was so very missing from that other experience i had it occurred to me no wonder my body was so sore there was no energetic there was no spiritual connection right. going on yeah in those other classes i had taken before so this woman who taught the classes her name is gil elliott she was taught by an old indian woman a brahmin and so it was really really traditional yoga lots of mudra lots of breathing lots of sitting uh, standing poses some days sitting poses other days really super traditional. In yoga, we do not sweat. Yoga should not hurt. It was all of those really gentle parts about it. And then this high-level meditative portion. Hmm. I lost 30 pounds in like four months. It just fell off of me going twice a week. That body-mind-spirit connection, the breath, was everything. Yeah. It changed everything. Um, I stalked my teacher into becoming my friend. I'd hang out after class and go, "Hey, what's she doing? Wanna, wanna get a coffee or something?" And she finally conceded and went and had a coffee with me. And then we realized that, of course, we were sisters from many lives before. So, right. so that was that's been my yoga thing. Nice. I, I I'm very picky about yoga. I tend to recommend to my patients. I'm an acupuncturist and practitioner of traditional Chinese medicine, and and I tell people to go to yoga, but not at the gym, mostly not at the gym.
0: Well, if it's crunch, you can tell them to go I, to my class. I tell them class.
1: crunch is different. <laughs> so my teacher became my friend, and my friend became my business partner, and so she was doing yoga teacher training in our office. Um, I taught the energetic anatomy portion of the um, the 500-hour classes, and so I, I know a little bit, but Excellent. just like a little teeny tiny bit. Oh, that's
0: great. I had the privilege of interviewing Jyoti. She is in the Seattle area, teaches various forms of yoga, and performs in a kirtan band for various yoga functions. Let's get to that interview, shall we?
2: I go by Jyoti, J-Y-O-T-I, and it's mm-hmm. a Sanskrit word, and it means light, inner, inner light. Mm-hmm. And my original name was uh, Melanie, which is of Greek origin, and it means dark or black. And mm. so in my yoga journey, um, my goal is to go from darkness to light. And so by changing my name literally from Melanie, which is dark, to T, which is light, it was symbolic of me making that journey, you know, spiritually in my own life, to go from darkness to light. So that's why 13th. I really
3: love that. I feel like there's so much in that that, I mean, it's sometimes when we have like a personal journey like that or a personal mantra, it turns out to be also universal or or maybe maybe not for everyone because I know there's plenty of people who maybe they're from a Western background and they're proud of it and they're going to stick with Western. But then there's others of us who maybe are – indoctrinated into the Western or Greek based, you know, uh forms mm-hmm. of civilization and thought. And for us it is darkness. And that light that sure. we can find, some at least for some of us, we find a light in the East in India. And so I, I just love mm-hmm. that story. Um g- right. going from from Greek darkness to uh to Indian light. Very right. poetic oh, and I
2: love it. Right. Well, my friend sent me this really funny article from Tibet, and it's this i guess this Tibetan teenager who he's like, "Oh, I'm really getting into Western philosophy." Oh, so <laughs> that works. Yeah. And did you see that? I did. <laughs>
3: Yeah, it yeah it's it's interesting. It feels like the world, you know, brain in a way. I mean, not to sound like the Borg or something, but I'm I'm fond of Tellier Desjardins' vision of the newosphere awakening, the world brain awakening through each of our individual connections and the sharing of knowledge. So it it only seems natural that people would. Would gravitate toward the things that they lack. You know, everybody grows up right. in a particular world, and then and they look at the internet, look at the world, and they see, ah, I think that's what I'm missing. And then we all start to kind of fill in the spaces toward maybe right. more of a global awakening, a glo- you know, a sh- finding the best, calling the best out of out of everybody. I think. Right.
1: So I think what they're calling that these days is heart-centered living. Hmm. So uh, very uh, heart chakra stuff, living in the love place all the time, breathing to that area constantly, living in the I love you's.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Which is great. It's really very nice.
0: Yeah. There's a great deal of emphasis on the the, uh, chakra work that I do, uh, that my dad taught me. We do three vibrations for every chakra, except for the chest, we do seven vibrations, vibrating a pink light out to the ends of the universe, intending the purest love that we can summon up. You can kind of bring up oxytocin. You can bring up affection. So you feel affection for your cat, you feel affection for a small child, and then you see Hitler and you say, okay, I feel affection for you. I love you. And you just fill him with pink light and then he disappears and there's nothing but pink light there. Because somewhere in the universe there's a little spark of light that was once Hitler. And so if we're not loving that spark of light, then something is keeping us from oneness with the universe. Absolutely. And then Hitler wins, right? Sure. <laughs> so it's all about love.
1: It really is.
3: Tell me about the type of yoga that you teach,
2: yeah, so i I teach let's see Hatha yoga, Kundalini yoga, bhakti yoga,
3: that's uh, the one God, I was interested in <laughs>
2: the ba- right, and sure, and that's um that's my kirtan, which I do um and we're called Dharma Sound, so we're a kirtan band, and we you know we sing and chant um. The Many Names of God, and using Sanskrit mantra, and I play the harmonium, and I do the lead vocals, and then I have my partner, Sphere, who also does vocals, and he plays drums, and we have another vocalist, Lonnie, who he, you know, so we all do vocals, and then, of course, the attendees, they also sing along, so it's a call and response, like I'll I'll say the mantra, and then they'll repeat it back, and then I'll say it, and then they'll repeat it back, and then we just go into this really awesome sound meditation, and the idea is that by chanting the many names of God, it's like a a baptism. It's like bathing in the holy, sound stream.
1: I'm a fan of call and response. I think that is a fantastic, genuine, immediate way to raise your vibration. Um, it's, it's a way of experiencing the shanti. In a different kind of way than you would perhaps in your practice. Now of
0: course I know what you're talking about for but for some of us listeners, what do you mean by the Shanti? The
1: Shanti, the Shanti, that's the, the oneness. That's As what the name of my acupuncture shop is Shanti. Yeah. I chose that name oh, very cool, specifically. Cool, cool. Shanti is a is a Sanskrit word for inner peace, and that makes I think inner just saying inner peace really is is uh, far from an accurate description of what that word really means. Don't
0: sue me, Madonna. It'll make sense later. <laughs>
1: so uh, so Shanti is the piece of, of the oneness that you find when you're in your meditation or you're chanting or singing or uh, perhaps in your uh, Kundalini kind of yoga maybe. Um, but it's it's when the individuality ceases to exist and you're just in, you're just you're just all in the one. I can imagine the shanti would come quickly mm-hmm. in that type of setting with instrumentation, with three singers, and a whole room full of people. Right. You can't help but get caught in those vibrations. Yeah.
2: And I also conclude every kirtan with a gong bath. And again, we call it a bath because it's like it's a cleansing. This, I have, My gong is called the cellatomic chow, and it literally... You know it vibrates at like an atomic level, and it helps to release subconscious content because it's the somespars or the impressions that cause most of our suffering, our subconscious imprints and impressions and so the the mantra and the sound of the gong it really helps to to like vibrate and release a lot of this stored content in our subconscious and also even in the body, because every time we have an emotion, an emotional thought, rather, we have chemicals that are released in the brain, whether it be a good thought or a bad thought determines which chemical is released. It could be an endorphin, gets stored in our body. And I'm sure as a yoga teacher, you know, that they'll say, you know, like we store, we can store a lot of sadness in the shoulders. We store like a lot of anger and fear in the hips. Because every time we have an emotional thought, these chemicals are released. They go into the bloodstream and they are stored in different parts of our body. And repetitive thoughts over time like this, they begin to get really kind of crystallized into our body and our subconscious. And so using the sound and the vibration, it's just a really powerful way to help you know to break up that crystallization and that subconscious content as well as pranayama and breathing techniques and, and all of that so but it seems that the sound is a particularly powerful um way to release a lot of that um those negative impressions that are stored in our in our body
1: that gong clears out the energy body in a special kind of way. I went to a a full sound bath singing bowl concert Mm. at the awareness center in Pasadena one time. And I think they probably had probably like a hundred different singing bowls in there. It was bananas. But it's the gong. It's always the gong that takes me the deepest, the fastest. There's something really super special about that vibration yeah so what she's talking about it sounds really cool so you're chanting it out there's instruments going there's gongs clearing uh old emotional stuff from the energy body too that sounds that sounds yeah. dope yeah yeah
3: like we were talking about last time there's so many uh neurons and and basically brain cells throughout the digestive system it's oh, the, no. it's like the jupiter in the solar system of the body it's almost a sun almost a brain in into itself and we communicate yeah, right. back and forth and i'm sure everybody can relate with that when you get sad and your stomach starts to hurt or you know you something happens you're relieved and suddenly you feel better and and you're uplifted
1: absolutely and, there's olfactory the cells in the digestive system as well. Oh, really? Yeah, wow. our livers and our stomachs and uh, some of our skin smells. Wow.
3: Our postures change, and and posture is so universal. You can recognize it in an insect. You can tell when an, when an insect is feeling confident or when it's feeling sheepish. Why? We all communicate on that level of the, how the spine is curved and and how the shoulders are. It's it's.
2: Yeah, it's very absolutely. Yeah, you can you can almost perceive you know a person's mental and emotional state by if you look closely at their body and their body posture. So just like in lifting the arms up, you know you're sending a message to the brain. So and you know it, it, we can have you know the body can or the mind can affect the body rather, but also and especially with yoga, we're using the body. To affect the mind because you're yeah. lifting the arms up. You're sending that message of victory to your brain. So, I mean, you have to equally, you know, equally work on the, you know, we have the five koshas, right? The, the physical body, the breath body, the mind body, intelligence body, bliss body. We have to work on on all of those. Right. It was just like the Native American, the medicine wheel. Yeah. You know, all of those parts we have to work on as a whole. You know, we can't work on just one part. I mean, we can, but it's not going to be very balanced. So, yeah. Yeah, Starting
3: with those yamas and and niyamas. You know, if you ask someone, yoga, is it violent? They'd say, well, no. It's like, well, okay, yeah, that's rule number one, nonviolence. It's the first yama. Um, You know, And then lying and stealing is, okay, well, these are somewhat obvious. It's like basic Ten Commandments kind of stuff. Like, don't be mean to other people
2: the yoga masters would only give their certain students certain teachings once they had reached a level of virtue right you know, once they are uh, you know abiding by the um the eight limbs you know because of the as it talks about in the yoga sutras you know the that the Bhutis or the siddhis the the powers that one can attain from certain yoga meditation practices, and so they would make sure that their students were completely, you know, responsible and virtuous yeah. before they would give them any of these, you know, certain techniques that could possibly bring some siddhis or some powers.
3: Well, and now so we can see of it We can see uh, examples of people who abuse that knowledge and, and, you know, have weird culty type situations where they right. molest their students and things like that and yell at them and exactly. things that aren't consistent yeah. with, uh, you know, real core yoga.
2: Right. They're obviously not
1: established in the Eight Limbs if they're doing those kinds of things.
4: Yeah.
1: So I understand that they're they're fairly disappointed with Bikram himself, you know, that he took the precious practice and turned it into that. Yeah. You know, all of the things that you should never do. Right. Like, all of the opposites of what it's... Here's the sutra, okay, now do everything opposite.
0: Yeah. Have you heard the Huffington Post thing
1: about Bikram? No.
0: Um, Huffington Post had to invent a, a whole new section of their website called Dickopedia.
1: Oh, no. Oh.
0: Dicopedia. With an apology to Wikipedia... But not to Bikram Chowdhury, who was the subject of the first
5: post on Wikipedia. Do you want to see it?
1: Yeah,
5: let me see it. Okay. Bikram Chowdhury. Bikram Chowdhury is a 69-year-old yoga instructor, a multi-millionaire businessman, and a dick. The originator of hot yoga, featuring classes held in sweltering conditions, Chowdhury first staked his claim to dickhood in 2002 when he attempted to copyright his sequence of 26 postures, a cynical appropriation of Hindu spiritual practice has been compared to trying to copyright the Lord's Prayer. (laughs) Having built a yoga empire that includes schools in over 200 countries, Chowdhury dickishly flaunts his wealth. He owns a fleet of 40 luxury cars and often leads his classes wearing nothing but a tiny Speedo and a $1 million diamond and ruby encrusted watch. Chaudhry's dick moves extend to his ego. He regularly compares himself to Jesus and Buddha, neither of whom is known to have said, as Bikram did, I have balls like atom bombs. Two of them, 100 megatons each. Nobody fucks with me. Oh, but his dickest boasts go far beyond the explosive power of his testicles. His claims that he healed Janet Reno's Parkinson's and Richard Nixon's phlebitis are wholly unsubstantiated as is his assertion that his yoga can cure, well, just about anything.
0: I totally cure you, whatever the
5: problem you have. Even less credible is his contention that he worked with the Beatles in 1959, since he would have been 13 at the time and, more importantly, the group had not yet been formed. Nowhere is Chowdhury's dick behavior more evident than during the teacher training programs he holds twice a year. After paying over $14,000, attendees are forced to endure nine weeks of grueling physical exertion, restricted food and water, and supervisors who won't let them go to the bathroom without permission. Trainees are also required to stay up late into the night watching Hindi-language Bollywood movies that have nothing to do with yoga films Chowdhury cheerfully narrates while having his shoulders massaged and his hair brushed by attractive young wannabe Bikram instructors these women are often groped and subjected to Dickie Bikram pickup lines like if I don't have sex I will die you are saving my life according to a series of civil lawsuits Chowdhury's carnal come ons sometimes lead to sexual assaults
1: he put his hand inside my leg and then I said please don't He erect me
5: One former Bikram trainee alleges that while she was pleading for him to stop, the aroused yoga guru penetrated her, ejaculated quickly, then asked, How many times did you come? Bikram denies the multiple charges, going so far as to portray himself as the one being pressured, explaining, If a follower says to me, Boss, you must fuck me or I will kill myself, think if I don't. The karma... Add to this mix a collection of sexist, racist, and homophobic comments, and you don't need to bend over backwards or break a sweat to reach the conclusion that Bikram Chowdhury is an utterly detestable dick. I'm the most
0: spiritual man you ever met.
1: The Dalai Lama said that the worst thing that you could possibly do in life is to lie about your spirituality. You can lie about the little things," he said. "You know, if it's going to save somebody's feelings, I don't want to come to your Thanksgiving dinner. That's one thing, but 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 lying about your spirituality is really that's hardcore. I wish him peace and love.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's hard to do, but but it's it's I mean, it's frustrating, you know, when when people hear. Uh, people who don't know anything about yoga hear, you know, read a headline or they hear, hear a story about something he's up to yep. and then you say, oh, I'm a yoga teacher and they go, oh, do you teach like, that cult stuff you know, and it's just frustrating when someone out there is giving a bad name to yoga I mean, ultimately when people dig a little further they realize that people come along like they <sighs> well, anyway
1: yeah, Wikipedia. I'll have to watch the Floyd Mayweather
3: one some other time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a book called um, The Heart of the World, I believe, about a man's trip to find the greatest Bayul, the greatest sacred place to meditate in Tibet. And um, I haven't finished the book, so I don't know if he gets there, but I'm assuming he does. Um, but along the way, he ended up m- meeting the Dalai Lama in the 80s. And... Uh, he was asking him, you know, what's the real scoop here? Like, how do you know if I'm really going to get into this? And the Dalai Lama was giving him the same kind of answers that he generally gives when he's got a microphone in front of him and he's talking to crowds of people, just very kind of gentle, universal kind of non-committal answers. And then he finally was saying, no, but really, like if I really wanted. And so finally, the Dalai Lama leans forward and he says, you need to isolate yourself, go into a forest and take on. The natures of all of these demons within you, and overcome yes. them. I was I was reading that, going, wow, oh, cool. You know, this is the Dalai Lama's advice to someone who really wants to to get into it. But I mean, the the key is, I think that that's a personal process you don't work your demons out in your interactions with your students or you know right. you, you, you work at, you work it out on your own and then you right. you you help your student along their path and you know keep us a a respectful distance from let them have their aura and you have your aura. And sometimes you come together in a group and you have sort of a collective experience, but at the end you all separate and and go and and live your separate lives, you know? So there's no parasitic, there's no one way flows of energy. The uh, Suryangama Sutra uh, volume number eight, it's, it's really, I recommend it. it. It's, it's the, the pattern, it, follows is basically Buddha's talking to Ananda, I believe, and uh, he's saying that when you meditate for a long time, first you'll get to this place where you'll see all the many Buddhas throughout the ages all around you, and you're all meditating, saying Om together at once, and it's a wonderful state, and as long as you don't think you're a sage, then you'll pass through it and everything will be fine but if you think at this point that you're a sage then you will be vulnerable to the demons influence and then he goes on and then he says next you will know that every time you take a step you are killing life and killing bugs and you just can't help doing it and life devours life and it's brutal and you'll weep and weep and weep and it's a good stage and you'll get through it just Mm. fine and if at this point you think you're a sage then you'll be vulnerable to the demons influence and it goes on and on and on and on like that and it's right. just so perfect because yeah you do get to all those stages and you can see examples of people who've decided that now that they've arrived at this ninth level or whatever they are now the sage who's going to show you the way and clearly it's not right. what you think it is it's what they think it is and it's not that you're at two different places in right. two different processes
2: <laughs> yeah and oh exactly yeah they, they certainly warn about that
1: If I get to level nine, (laughs) then I can have the special toy.
0: Alan Watts talks about how when the aspirant finds the guru sitting under the tree, and he says, tell me, teach me yoga. And the guru says, "Uh, you're it, that thou art. And he says, "Uh, I I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, intellectually, I kind of get it. But and the guru says, oh, you're one of those. (laughs) You're going to want a whole bunch of steps to go through and you're going to want some kind of title at the end and you're going to want, you know, but ultimately you're just putting it off. It's because you don't want to wake up now. You could wake up today. It's all one. Everything is united, but instead you put it off and you say, guru, tell me, what steps should I take? And then, okay, well, then the eight steps, the eight limbs of yoga become a ladder instead of Eight general spokes of a wheel that's spinning, that's existing at present time. Then you could say, well, start with the first yama. Are you a vegetarian? No. Okay. Well, go home and work on that. And then you come back. I come back. I'm a vegetarian. Okay. How long's it been? Six months. Okay. Okay. How about the second one? Have you told a lie in the last six months? Well, I told my wife. You can do. You can teach yoga that way, and you you know you can approach it that way, and you can say, well, I'm going to learn the poses. And then after I learn the poses, then I'm going to be able to sit in lotus position. And once I can sit in lotus position, then I'll start meditating. And then once I'm meditating, then then maybe one day I'll become enlightened. But in the meantime, oh, I should go to yoga. Should I go to yoga? No, I'll go to yoga tomorrow. And that's what yoga as a spiritual path means to most people. But then there's Alan Watts.
1: <laughs> and then there's Alan Watts. <laughs> My
2: yoga uh, teacher is. Kathleen Hunt in Seattle, and she studied with Patabi Joyce under the uh, Ashtanga tradition, and so she was my teacher, mm-hmm. and also Namadeva Acharya, mm-hmm. who was a um, teacher in the Portland area, and he passed away a few years ago, sadly, and he's under he's published quite a bit of uh, works on Sanskrit mantra. And he's uh, you would find him as Thomas Ashley Ferrand, um, or Namadeva Acharya. Um, and he's an amazing teacher and um his his work is you know, still goes on around the world. There are many people that are still you know, taking his teachings all around the world. And um and he his um his organization was Sanatana Dharma Satsang. and so I studied with Namadeva for about three years and finally was able to obtain my um mantra teacher certification. So I'm a reverend with the uh, um Sanatana Dharma Sang under Namadeva Acharya. Nice. And then also um Swami Ken has been a really great teacher. Um Ganganath um I learned a lot about the Siddha tradition from uh Ganganath and then um Salvatore Sambito, Um he wrote a great book Called the unadorned thread of the Yoga Sutra, and he—I learned my subtle anatomy, um, much of it, um, through Salvatore, and he lives in Washington. And I would highly recommend if you are um, someone that's studying the Yoga Sutra, because it's a—it's a—it's a pretty large book, and on on the left page is you know, the uh, Sutra in Sanskrit with English transliteration. Mm-hmm. And then on the next page because you know how many you can get an INGAR uh translation, Satasananda, you know, Pyrrh. Right. Whatever, right? But now this book is amazing because he actually takes the this the, the um on the page to the right, it has nine different translations. Excellent. Nine different translations. Because many times I've read many different um translations of the Yoga Sutra, you know, like Ayengar to me is a little too dry, you know, I really like uh piramid. but it's really interesting because it's you know, they're they're translating the same sutra and but it's nine, you know, and some are more scientific in their approach. Some are more, you know, kind of artistic and poetic in the way. They translate and to, to actually have them all side by side, so it's really like having nine books, nine translation books, all into one book. Excellent. I'll send you, I'll send you um, a link to that. You can get it on Amazon or you can get it on his website.
3: Thank you. Yeah, so I'll definitely, a definitely student, check that a out. For
2: your student, this is the only book you'll need. Yeah, it's amazing.
3: Yeah, that it. it um... Makes me think that with nine different translations, you could start to key in on maybe what your own translation or or ha- applying it to your own life would be. I I read the uh, Swami Satchidananda translation. He's the uh, you know probably the the big hippie of all the all of them. But I mean he's right. he's serious. And you he's know, in but there,
2: hmm? right? He's one of the translate oh, translators good. in this work as well. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, he was very major, kind. The
2: top nine, yeah, and of course, of course, Officer one of you know, the top. Yeah. <laughs> people, so
3: nice. And um, yeah. tell me about your your train. Part of your training was in India.
2: Well, I traveled in 2006 uh, with my teacher, um, and we went to the sacred site in the north, and we went up into the Himalaya mountains and we had a spiritual pilgrimage and we went up to, um, it was called, um, and Tapovan, which is, it's, we went basically to the source of the Ganges river, right? Nice. Where it basically, you know, starts, you know, and it was just, before it's so been polluted. So beautiful. <laughs> so pristine. And because, especially when you're at the very northern tip, you know, the water, I mean, of course, when you get down and, you know, Varanasi and different parts of India, the water seems for sure a little murky
3: right. brown.
2: But somehow basically. has Nothing miraculous
3: much. healing qualities beautiful. anyway.
4: Yeah.
2: Absolutely. But up in, in, the, in the north, at the source, I mean, it's just, it's so clean and pristine. And uh, it was just amazing, really amazing to experience, you know, just to go to this place where it's said that so many saints and sages have spent so much time in their meditations and just to be there and just feel that and experience that and just to walk, you know, to walk your feet on these places where these amazing people have gone before just really powerful and it was a great experience great education and I look forward to going back again I look forward to going for the
3: first time for sure
2: yeah absolutely you'll love it it's it's so rich so rich and if you love yoga and you love knowledge and you know then you'll just love India The food's really great too
3: so Dharma Sound, how did that uh, come together? That was about ten years ago.
2: Well, I've been leading, I've been teaching and leading um, yoga, mantra, and meditation for since 2004. Um, it was when I got my harmonium in 2000, it was 2009, I believe. 2009, 2010 it was right around when I got my harmonium. And before that, I was calling it just satsang where we would just gather and we would chant and meditate without really any music. And it really became Dharma Sound when I got the harmonium and I really started to add in um, the element of music along with the mantra chanting and meditation. And so that's kind of how Dharma Sound was started. Basically, once I got my harmonium, that was kind of the birth of Dharma Sound, so and that was about about 2010, and we do yoga studios and bookstores, and we open up for meditation teachers. I've opened for Swami Ken, uh, for Ganga Na, for Guru Soria, and so you know we we do a regular monthly kirtan. And then we also do other events where we'll travel. We're pretty much just in the northwest at, at this point, um, but yeah, we just we love to bring the you know the sound technology and to remind people that really the basis of all yoga practices is based in sound. The first texts, you know, the most ancient texts don't speak of asana or even pranayama they speak of sound and mantra very interesting
3: so this is before the before the yoga sutras
2: yes so if you look at if you start to look at the Vedas Mm. the the Rig Veda, Atarva Veda, Yajur, Sama and each each kind of has a, a different kind of flavor but the earliest the earliest um Vedas are based on the singing of the mantra and the sound very cool right right so again even in even in the other you know religious traditions you think of you know Christianity in the beginning was the word and the word was god Right, so it was that by vi- that vibration that began creation, you know. And then, just as well, in the Hindu tradition, they say Om Nada Brahma, which means sound is God. So in the beginning was the word, and the word was God. Sound was God. And the word Nata was Brahma. Om. Yeah, Om Nada Brahma. Sound is God, or God is sound. So God, you know, God is sound. You know, that intelligence that, and we know, you know, now the molecular level, the physics and all of that, it's really only proving what the ancient the ancient fogies knew and spoke about and wrote about thousands of years ago.
3: If you don't mind um, maybe giving some examples of syllables of mantras that relate to certain gods.
2: Right. So we have... Um, we have long mantras, but we also have, they're called the bija mantras or the seed mantras. So, for instance, the chakras, lum, for the first, you know, rum, rum, yum. So a one-syllable sound. And we have, for instance, Ganesha, the elephant god, the remover of obstacles. His, his seed mantra is gum, or um, on Sadaswati, it would be i for Lakshmi, it would be Shreem and on and on. And so each, yes, there is a, a, an association with a deity. Or if you don't like deity, look at it as quality of nature. Right? Some people, what is it? It's the anthro, anthropomorphized.
3: Right. The, yeah. Uh, I, I like to bring up nature. Carl Jung <laughs> at that
2: point. Yeah, exactly. They give them personalities because as humans we relate to stories and to personalities and so if you want to, I like to look at it as the deity and I will visualize the deity you don't necessarily have to do it that way, again you could work with it as as a a quality of nature and then as well with the the mandalas or the the, they call it yantra in the Hindu tradition what what they refer to as a mandala more in um, Tibetan Buddhist it's, they call it a yantra. It's basically the same thing. It's, you know, it's a geometric formation. And I think most people know mostly about the Sri Yantra, which are the uh, 16 interlocking triangles pointing upward and pointing downward. And in tantric uh, practice, what you do is you take the, whatever, each yantra has its own mantra, each yantra has its own deity. And so you work with meditating on that yantra, and you're meditating on it, and you're chanting the mantra associated with that yantra or that deity. Mm-hmm. And it's like invoking, invoking the energy of, of that quality or of that deity. And one of the ways that I love to look at it is that the and yantra literally means vehicle. Right? So yeah, the these, these geometric formations that you see the yantras or the mandalas, it means vehicle. And, and tantra
3: so, is web?
2: Yes. Tantra it just it just means web. Exactly. Okay. And so you're chanting so the yantra is the vehicle and the mantra is the gasoline to fuel that vehicle. And the spiritual path, spiritual progress, I mean, you know, I think a lot of people think of it, oh, it's a a blissful thing, or it's going to be so happy, healthy, and whole. Sometimes. And that's true. (laughs) That's true. However, you know, it's it's very hard. I mean, we have to really look at ourselves honestly to truly do this work, and most people would rather jump in an acid lake than look at themselves honestly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's not easy. It's worth it. Yeah. By all means, it's worth it. But, you know, it's, it's hard. I mean, you go through that dark night of the soul, you know. But then, yeah,
3: come out the other know, side.
2: Come out the other side, yeah.
3: I remember when dark, I needed From the, darkness to light. I remember when I needed something like a video game or a movie or a TV show or something uh, to keep my brain going so I wouldn't think about whatever it was I was trying to avoid thinking about. And it's just, I mean, so many people live in that space. But to be able to turn off the TV and actually confront that silence, and in a way, the the sacred tones are a way of of helping people to transition from the noise of whatever Toward the silence,
2: definitely, absolutely, and, and that's what's great about the sound and the mantra it's it it does it's a it's a really great tool, especially for our busy minds in the West, you know that it really becomes a powerful instrument of meditation to help you lead will help lead you into that silence you know a little more easily because for many people just to sit many westerners to really just sit. In silent meditation, it's really challenging, especially in the beginning. Yeah. Especially in the beginning for people, you know, the the sound, the gong, and the mantra, it is really, really helpful to help them get their mind quiet. Yeah. And I've had so many people report that to me that using the sound, you know, they, you know, like, oh, I've never been able to really meditate or to get my mind on, you know, more quiet but using the mantra or using sound frequencies really helps tremendously for people to get to start to get into that silent space more and more.
3: Yeah. And it's a really
2: excellent tool for that for sure.
3: Thank you so much for speaking with me on my, uh, to be a yogi podcast.
2: Oh, my pleasure. Do you
3: have any uh, closing thoughts before we wrap up the interview?
2: Well, I would just say that um, if you want to stay in touch with Dharma Sound, you could just like Dharma Sounds on Facebook or visit our website at dharmasoundyoga.com. And we do have a CD. Um, It's not on iTunes yet, but it is available. Um, And also we are available to come to your location for kirtan. So anyone that's interested in exploring that, it's a beautiful blissful experience, and I always talk about the kirtan buzz, that after sitting with the music and the chanting and the meditation and the gong for 90 minutes, you just feel like a buzz, you know, sort a of natural, <laughs> it's like a natural high, and it really seems to last for a few days, and it's just very uplifting, and it's just really nice that we can all come together and just connect with each other. That's really important these days too. So just, just to feel connected with one another. So I think a lot of a lot of us feel kind of disconnected. And so it's really, yeah. really wonderful to get together and to connect. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you. This is so fun. But you know, at some point in the future, um, I think a really interesting discussion would be about to actually have a discussion about the kundalini kundalini, kundalini yoga, kundalini meditation and the Kriya yoga. Oh
3: yeah. I would love to have that conversation.
2: That happen you know, that what happens in the body when the kundalini starts to become active. It's a very, very interesting topic. Of course the self realization fellowship, the Kriya yoga, which is a, which is also Kundalini yoga. There's also um Swami Shivananda Kundalini. So many, yeah. When we talk about Kundalini yoga, now people think of they think of the white tantric, or they think of the three H O or the Yogi Bhajan, which is which which is most popular in the West, where everyone wear the white and they do their. And I teach that kind of yoga as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are, yeah, there are many kinds of Kundalini yoga too. Of course, yoga is it's just so vast and yeah, it's incredible.
3: Well, if you consider all the different forms of Christianity, and that's only 2015 that's years old. <laughs> <you right. know. laughs>
2: exactly. Yeah. Yeah, there's something for everybody, it seems. It's yeah. great. Well, awesome. Thank you. Absolutely. I'm glad to hear this. Finished product. Yeah, we'll we'll be yeah, we'll we'll keep this going. You know, I'll talk to my friend and set something up in the future for, for that. That'd be awesome. But so, this is so much fun. I could do this every day. Yeah, yeah.
3: So you guys don't have a base, do you have like a, a a location where you show up most often?
2: Yes, most often. We we do our regular monthly Kirtan at Expansions Yoga in Silverdale, Washington.
3: And that's outside oh, yeah. of Seattle, about forty minutes that's, or so?
2: exactly. Yeah, just right outside of Seattle. I just tell people that aren't from here, I just say the Seattle area. Right. You know, the Seattle area. But yes, Silverdale, we do that every every month. And then, of course, we do, you know, festivals and private events. And like we do unity churches and bookstores and we open up for other teachers, you know, for meditation lectures and stuff like that we will open up for those teachers and stuff. So.
3: Excellent. Well, hopefully yeah. hopefully uh, we'll have you back on uh, maybe at some point in the future. And, and um, when my wife yeah. and I are up there in, in Washington, we'll definitely stop by and visit you. And maybe we'll end okay. up in India at the same time.
2: Oh, that would be great. Yeah. yeah. Be I'm saving up, trying to save up my money for another trip to India. <laughs>
3: Excellent. It's worth it.
2: <laughs> okay. <laughs> awesome.
3: Well, enjoy the rest of your Namaste.
1: day. Thank Namaste. You. Thank you. Bye. Right. Bye-bye. Uh, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of the uh, of the sound stuff. Yeah. Big shit happens with that because here's the thing: it's all vibration, and that's all it comes down to. Energy. It's all fucking energy. I love sound healing stuff. I think it's great. If you ever get a chance to go to any kind of like, sound bath or mm-hmm. anything like that, you should totally go. It's a magnificent experience.
0: And anyone in the Seattle area, I recommend hitting up her website. We'll put a link on the description.
1: It sounds like she's got a cool thing going on there. It does. A really cool thing, and it sounds like her heart is really in it, and she really wants to be as helpful and as much of service as she can with with the uh, with the sound gifts that she has. That's really that's really great. Do cheers to her.
0: Yeah, it makes me want to go on a, a road trip up north. I've got uh, some people in Oregon and Washington to visit, and definitely I'll be hitting up Dharma Sound when I'm up
1: there. Yeah. I can't wait to hear what it's like.
0: Let's hear it. Thank Joe T., Sphere 2, Chad, Michael, Lonnie, Billy, and Debbie, who together make up Dharma Sound. Thank you to Kathy Kuhn-Pentecost for co-hosting today. Thank you to Christopher Lloyd-Clark for providing background music specifically for podcasts about yoga and meditation. That was the music that you heard in the background today. As always, thank you for tuning in.
4: Namaste.